0: All right, you ready to get into the word? All right, we are in part three of the glorious church. This is a survey through uh, Ephesians, and we uh, the, the part one we asked, "What does it mean to be in Him?" Uh, we are we are members of the body of Christ, the body of Christ, and what does it mean to be? What does it mean to be in Him? To be found in Him, uh, and then in part two, we we talked about how do we get that idea that we're in him, in us? Like, how does our heart actually become, become convinced of those things so that we can walk in those things uh, in real time uh, in covenant with him? And today we're going to take a look at two verses from Ephesians chapter 5. Um, and I want to start just, just a quick, quick poll. Um, how many of you believe the Christian life is easy? Thank you, Gordon. We're, we're actually all coming to your house uh, for lessons. <laughs> How many of you believe, just a quick poll, that you believe actually life is easy? Right? Okay, so obviously since none of us believe that life is easy or that really the Christian life is easy, we're all going to be coming and, and uh, what we earnestly want for Christmas is to sign up for more hard things. That's all you want for Christmas. All you want for Christmas is more hard stuff. No? No. Well, maybe you should. I know I'm 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 dangerously close to pushing over another sacred cow, but bear with me. We're going to go somewhere uh uh this morning. Um Early in my Christian walk, when I was uh, in at Cal Poly, one of the uh, the first hard things I elected to do—this n- wasn't a trauma or a um, uh, uh, the loss of something. There, there was this was not a hard thing that was was brought um, uh, into my life that I had. This was a hard thing that I elected to step into. Um, was I had a burden for people that were suffering from addiction and that were drunk um, because I uh, had spent a number of years as a drug addict um, in, in high school. And so um, I, a friend and I, we decided, we didn't really tell anyone about it, but we thought we had this idea that we would go down um, on one weekend night each week uh, to the bars in downtown San Luis not to drink, uh, but to wait outside for people between about 1 and 3 in the morning um, and wait for people to come out. Um, and we would talk to them. Uh, we would offer them rides home. We would, um, we would ask them if they needed prayer. We would share the gospel. Um, and if any of you know me, which most of you do, uh, you don't want to know me when I'm tired. Tired Jeff's not a good Jeff. No, uh, so this this was not something that really was I wanted to do, or or it, it was not something that would have was was easy. Uh, and I think, well, why did I why did I do that? Well, if I was honest, if I was honest, and I'm going to be, in that season of time, I led more people to Christ than I do now. So in all of the roles that we have, and all the things that we have, um, e- even uh, even that we get invited into, um, choosing a hard thing may be choosing a good thing. And so I, I, and so then the question is: is why do we choose hard things, and where do we get the strength to do the hard things? And that's what we're going to look at this morning. And you're going to see it nicely weaved together with the Christmas story here. But um, we're in Ephesians chapter 5, and this will be just two verses today, verses 1 and 2. It says, therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us. And given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. Let's all read that together again, just to proclaim God's word. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Imitation? Isn't that a bad word? I mean, how many of you like saccharin? Aspartame? Sucralose? Monk fruit? I'm on the in crowd now. Now we got it. Just give me a straight old teaspoon of white death. <laughs> imitation, hello. It's not. It, they're not the same. I don't. You, they're crazy. How many of you remember um, the the Doritos with no fat? The imitation Olean brand Alestra. Now, uh, did I hear any groans out there? Yeah. See that. You know what that groan means. That groan means is that I thought those Doritos didn't have any fat, so I bought a whole bag, I ate them all, and I ended up with diarrhea for three days. (laughs) Sorry for whoever groaned. Yes, yes, that is unfortunately what that means. Imitation's not always good. Um, One of my favorites is, what's the deal with the laser light shows instead of fireworks on, on the 4th of July? Like we're not fooled. That little pretty picture—it has no boom. I show up for the boom, okay? The, the lightning is pretty, but without the thunder, it's not really that cool. Um, so imitations can be fake. Imitations can also be funny. Um, have you, you know, there's one guy that does all the movie previews. One guy. He does all the movie previews. He has the most amazing voice. Well, what if that movie preview guy did a preview for Christmas? Okay, here's this. One holy night, 2,000 years ago, she had a baby on the way that would change history. He was in a faraway land on a mission of family honor. And together they were caught up in a plan far bigger than themselves. The earth was restless, a star shone brightly, and the stable was smelly. A tale of epic love, political betrayal, and ancient prophecy. The world will never be the same. Joseph, Mary, shepherds, magi, King Herod, and the baby Jesus star in Christmas coming this December 25th to churches everywhere. So, imitations can be funny. Imitations can also be sobering. Uh, James Baldwin, the American novelist, said children have never been very good at listening to their elders, but they have never failed to imitate them. Hearing my sinful attitudes come out of my children is sobering. When I see... Pardon me. This is really my fault, Aaron. So I'm just going to use you as an example, but it's really my fault. When I see when I see Aaron turn and correct either Joshua or Abigail with disdain or disgust in his voice and I realize that he is actually just imitating my sinful attitude that I have taken with everyone in the family from time to time, that's really sobering. He's imitating Also, sometimes it's a really beautiful thing. You can see the virtues like honesty and respect and kindness on display. Um, I, uh, I'm i going to pick on Abigail. She's not here because um, the girls get all the good stories and the boys get all the bad ones. Um, yeah, sorry, bud. Uh, but uh, a- Abigail at a, at a birthday party... You know when she notices somebody who is by themselves when we're about to sing "Happy Birthday," and I see her leave the group and go up to the person to try and make sure that they're included um, in the song and that they get uh, that they don't miss out on something. Um, those are the the imitations that we want to see, right? Um, and it is this kind of sobering imitation that we are called to. We are to be imitators of God as dear children. Well, who are we really supposed to imitate? Because this this passage um, says, therefore be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. And sometimes the the Trinity gets involved in in each passage, and we kind of lose track a little bit. So it's saying, therefore, be imitators of God the Father as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, and offering in a sacrifice to God the Father for a sweet-smelling aroma. Because who are we to imitate here? I mean, if John 118 says, "No one has ever seen God, then how are we supposed to imitate God the Father? As dear children, if we have never seen Him, and in fact, nobody on earth has ever seen Him. Well, John 118 continues and gives us a great insight, um, says, "No one has ever seen God the Father." But the one and only Son, who is himself God, is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. And so you see that principle come up in here. Be imitators of God the Father as dear dear children, even though, yes, you've never seen him. But you, you can walk in love. You can follow in Christ's footsteps because Christ is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed everything about God the Father to us. He, everything we see in Christ is everything that's in God the Father. So who exactly are we to imitate? In this passage, we are to imitate Christ and follow in his footsteps. To follow the footsteps of the one who is love is to walk in love. He was love walking. So if we are to imitate Christ, then What from Christ's life are we to imitate? Surely not everything. Are we to undergo a virgin birth? Too late. Are we to remain single? Sacred cow tipping. Well, some of us are called to remain single, true. But is that something we are, all of us are to imitate? No. Are we to spend our adult life traveling? I mean, Jesus really never had an address where he could receive mail. Are we are we to imitate that? Some of us are, but it wouldn't be something that's not what the passage is saying to imitate Christ. That's not on that's not really what the writer's talking about. How about, are we to die for the sins of others as a sacrifice to God? Some of us may have to lay down our life for the faith and for the, for the gospel, that's true. But we are not dying a substitutionary death for other people's sins. That's already been done. We're not to imitate that. So Paul gives us a... Um, uh, gives us the answer as to what we are to imitate in verse 2. And he says, And walk in love, as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. You notice those words. Given himself. Offering. Sacrifice. If there was one thing that I could describe about Jesus from this passage, is that Jesus was willing to choose hard things because they were right things. Jesus was willing to choose hard things because they were right things. And Jesus didn't just do one hard thing at age 33. He gave up the eternal glory of unbroken intimacy with God the Father and God the Spirit to be born inside a barn in need of a diaper change. He chose something hard. He abstained from the pleasures of romantic companionship on earth because he was engaged to us, the church. He chose something hard. He spent his adult life traveling with no comfortable place to lay his head for the joy of loving people with healing and wisdom and deliverance, lining them up at the gate to enter into the kingdom of God as soon as the door would open. He chose something hard. He chose something hard. He went through the lifelong, excruciating process of giving himself up for us, laying down his life for the joy that was set before him. His whole life was love walking. And this passage calls us to choose some hard things because they are right things. Love walking is hard. And Paul acknowledges later in this same the same passage just in the next several verses. Paul acknowledges our default is to take the easy route. When it's up to us, we choose easy. I wish I had that button. When it's up to us, that was easy. I want easy. Every time it's my choice, I want easy. How about you? You want easy. We keep hitting that easy button over and over and wonder why we haven't accomplished anything worthwhile. Why we have no joy. We keep hitting the easy button every time it's our choice because life is hard and there's so much trauma and there's so much pain and there's so much of this and there's so much that. And I am not minimizing any of that. And so we think, we bargain with ourselves and say, well, because it's so hard, when it's my choice, I'm choosing easy. Easy. I want easy. I want easy. I want easy. I want easy. Because everything else is hard. Paul acknowledges our default is to take the easy route. That's why he lists a bunch of easy routes. He lists sexual immorality. We don't want to wait for marriage. We just want to have sex now. Unchecked appetites. We want to eat everything in sight. We, wanna, we, we want our medications and our drugs and everything else whenever we want. Selfishness and greed. We want the comfort that comes from financial security and everything else. Obscene, obscenity and obscene entertainment. We like to gawk and watch other people doing obscene things on a television set, and we consider our, our lives pure. Hello. Foolish talk coarse joking. I was very guilty of that. I've said it before. Very twisted sense of humor that I have laid on the altar. I'm not perfect. I'm just saying when I read that, all that stuff, they're all easy routes. It's harder to do the alternative than all of those easy routes. The hard things Jesus chose, Scripture says here, were a sweet aroma to God the Father. Do you know what Paul is referencing here? The sweet aroma? Why would he make mention of that? I mean, isn't that an odd thing when you consider Christ's life of devotion and what he did? Why would that be a sweet aroma? I mean, and even if you consider, you know, there's there's his body being broken and crucified and um, beaten for us and beaten and and wrecked beyond and disfigured to the so he was unrecognizable there was there is nothing sweet about that aroma but what what was what is why is paul saying that love walking jesus how he gave himself how he offered himself how he sacrificed himself became a sweet aroma. Well, he was referencing um, three of the five offerings that were instituted by God the Father for the children of Israel in Leviticus. This is way back at the beginning or towards the beginning of the Bible, towards the beginning of the story in Leviticus chapters 1 through 5, and they're all outlined in great detail. Um, but three of those offerings were considered sweet aroma offerings. There was the burnt, or sometimes called the free will offering, the meal offering, and the peace offering. And in the description of those three offerings, they're each described as sweet aroma offerings. And God the Father put in those, in place these, these ceremonial offerings, part of the ceremonial law, to train humanity in the need for what was behind them. So Jesus didn't make any burnt offerings at the temple. He didn't make meal offerings or peace offerings in that ceremonial way. Yet he completed and dotted every I and crossed every T of all aspects of the law. He actually lived out the truth of why those offerings were in place in his life. willingly. And so, how humanity was trained in the picture of ceremony, Jesus took on in his life, in his heart, and lived it out perfectly. So, we're not to imitate the ceremony. We're to imitate the life that became a sweet aroma to God the Father. Am I losing anyone here a little bit? Is this getting a little a little touchy? Okay, we're going we're gonna to break it down a little bit more. So let's take a look at those sweet aroma offerings and what they mean in the life of Christ, if we're supposed to imitate a life that is a sweet aroma to God the Father. Well, the first one is an offering of devotion. So the burnt offering sometimes called the whole offering or the free will offering. This is when worshipers wanted to express devotion to God. They brought the burnt offering. And it was an offering of their own free will, not of obligation. Does that sound familiar with, from the life of Jesus? Jesus was very clear that no one could take his life from him. He laid it down willingly. You realize nothing that you have in your life came from someone's obligation, Jesus's obligation. Jesus did not do anything for you out of obligation. He did everything for you out of the willingness of his heart. When you get a revelation of that, it will deliver you from the oppression of obligation. There is no joy that you can ever receive from obligation. There is only joy that comes from willingness. Choosing. Everything Jesus did, he chose. He chose to come. He chose to lay down his life. No one takes his life from him. No one could. He laid it down willingly. His willingness was the free will burnt offering that smelled pleasing to God. His willingness Joy comes from willingness, not obligation. What was a burnt offering in Leviticus is now an offering of devotion, an offering of willingness that Jesus made. And that are, what we are to imitate, is an offering of devotion and willingness in our life. You know, we, uh, Pastor Mike and I got to meet with a couple um, uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Russell and Sydney Bridges, and their daughter is moving here to the Central Coast. Um, and they, 13 years ago, sold their house um, and every, essentially every worldly possession, and they moved to, to Myanmar to share the gospel um, and to invite other missionaries to come and to raise up and to plant churches and to see the gospel really be brought into a, a people group that had no known churches. And no known believers. And so, for thirteen years, they have willingly chose hard things. In fact, Russell he 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 talked to me, and he said, "There is there's no there's nothing else there's no other reason why I would spend all of uh, spent holidays and birthdays with my grandkids on FaceTime, other than the willingness." to bring the gospel to unreached people groups. He, it, it wasn't out of obligation. It wasn't because he had to. It was because they wanted to. That's where the joy comes in. That's where the, the fruit comes in. It was from their willingness. And why would, why would we ever choose? I mean, this is not a hard thing that was brought to their doorstep. It wasn't a trauma or a grief or anything brought to their doorstep that made life hard. They signed up willingly and said, yes, make my life hard. I'm choosing something that's hard, not out of obligation, but out of willingness. How about closer to home in day-to-day challenges? Right now, my, uh, my wife has been stepping into uh, a calling to be a director of the preschool next door. Um, and one of the things that's meant for us is that we get up at zero dark 30 uh, as a family, and we have to get our three children and everyone out of the house at like 6.38 in the morning. Um, and we show up there by 7.15 so she can be in devotions with the staff and um, things. And so that's, I'm to say, it's not easy. There are several times when I fantasized about the way things used to be. But if I only got up and did this out of obligation, what reward would I ever get out of it? None. Would it be a sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord? To God the Father? No. But if I choose out of To do it willingly, and I make it consciously an offering of devotion, my willingness to choose something hard, to bless, to support, to encourage what God has led someone else to do, is that a sweet-smelling incense to God? That's an offering of devotion most mornings. The second is an offering of purity. This would be the meal offerings. The meal offerings, some, some in Leviticus, they're considered meal offerings uh, or grain offerings. In other places, there is also a drink offering, but they're kind of under this, They're under the meal offering heading. And since the grain and drink represent the fruit of our labor, the meal offering allowed the worshiper to consecrate to God that which he had enabled him to produce. It was a reminder to keep an undefiled life of integrity and a willingness to be poured out. And there is a very meticulous way of preparing that grain and preparing the drink to make that offering in the temple that it was pure, that it was cut and prepared very precisely, that it was not leavened, not polluted, not contaminated in any way. What kind of purity did the Lord Jesus Christ walk in? Did he keep his word, every word, to every man, woman, and child, even when it was hard? And was it out of obligation or was it willingly? Jesus kept his word. How about, and over and over you hear him say, everything I have heard my father say or do or anything, that is what I have done. That is what I am doing there is perfect integrity between what he heard and what he said and what he did jesus kept his friends right at the end when he prays right before it's all about to get real real dangerous for him he says god all that you've given all the ones you've given to me i have kept He kept his word. He kept his friends. He kept his desires and appetites in check. Right? Scripture says that Jesus was tempted in every way that we are. In that way, he wasn't a magic man. He was tempted. Satan tempted him. He, in fact, went into the wilderness to endure the temptation to prove to the devil and to himself. That which was written had become flesh and was alive. Jesus didn't bargain with the devil. And what was, so, so it's what was a meal offering, that type, that, that shadow of what was to become, that was ceremony, what was a meal offering is now an offering of purity, a heart undefiled by the world, a heart undefiled by demonic impressions. You know, it's a sweet-smelling aroma to God when we say no to our flesh and check our appetites. It's a sweet-smelling aroma when we keep our word without partiality, when we care for our friends. It's a sweet-smelling aroma when we quit bargaining with the devil and start taking authority over him. And not out of obligation not because we have to, not because we have to get the checkbox checked. It's because we're willing, because we're following the footsteps of Jesus who was love walking. And the last is an offering of peace. So the peace offering in Leviticus was an expression of joyful thanksgiving that the worshiper was at peace with God and his fellow man. Peace offerings marked the end of hostilities between families, between friends, between business associates or enemies. A celebration of table fellowship followed the offering. And in fact, when they would bring the peace offering, the priests would um, go through the ceremony and then they would return a portion of the offering back to the person who brought it to share with those that he or she was at peace with now as a celebration. Giving up, I was going to say, ending hostilities is a hard thing. Ending hostilities, even in our heart, ending hostilities is not the easy route. It's much easier to just keep them. It's much easier just to live with them. It's much easier to allow those hostilities to serve their own purpose in in our life and to keep us separated or protected theoretically from others or in whatever way that we have made room for those hostilities. Because giving up control setting aside our interests, foregoing our rights, laying down our privileges or things that we believe have, are owed to us. Hard things. So what was an offering for peace in the life of Christ is now an offering of peace. Peace. Jesus himself, earlier in the book of Ephesians, says Christ, he himself is our peace. He has become the peace for us between God the Father and us, and between us and one another. He himself is our peace. We have peace with God and one another in Christ. And he willingly made that peace. Did he have to essentially give up his own interests and control and foregoing what was due him and his privileges and his rights and everything that he deserved? And did he do it out of obligation? This is key. I mean, like, you have to get a revelation. It's not out of obligation that Jesus did anything for you. He did it of his own free will. He needed nothing. God is not in need of us. He loves us. Love is not obligation. You cannot love out of obligation. Love is free will by its definition. It's free. It's it's chosen. Everything he has done and is doing for you is because he has chosen to. Jesus himself is our peace. Now, we've been talking about a lot of hard things, and I want to say these aren't just hard things for austerity's sake. We're not just trying to make our life hard because things that are hard teach us lessons. We fall into that trap a lot. Well, life is hard because I'm just trying to learn something or that's I need to learn this I need to learn that we're not choosing hard things for austerity's sake our willingness to choose some hard things leads to great joy we believe in the joy set before Christ, we read about it in Scripture. We believe that for the joy that was set before him, he chose to come. He chose to lay his down, down his life for us. He chose all those things willingly, and we believe in the joy that was set before him. Do you believe in the joy that is set before you? If you really believed in the joy that was set before you, you would choose more hard things. You wouldn't hit the easy button every time it's your choice. And every time it's my choice. I'm preaching to myself. I really am. Think about all the times when it's our choice. That was easy. I want what's easy. If we believe in the joy that was set before him, then we really should believe in the joy that was set before us. So I have a question. Where do we find the strength for these offerings? If we're going to choose things that are difficult, following in the footsteps of Christ, not out of obligation, not because we have to, but we're actually out looking for hard things that are right things because there's so much joy and reward and fruit and fellowship that is on the other side of every hard thing that we choose in the name of Jesus, every footstep that we follow that Jesus took, If there's really all that out there, how do we find the strength for these offerings? We find strength for imitation in the original. We find strength for imitation in the original. Let me illustrate. So I draw a measure of strength to be a good husband and to support my wife in marriage because of my parents' 54 years of devotion to one another. That actually, I think about their marriage and all that I have seen them go through and all that they've chosen to lay down their life for one another in all kinds of different ways. The original that I saw actually gives me strength today. I think about the struggles or the difficulties or something that doesn't seem right or that's hard, and the original that left an imprint that is sitting in my heart actually gives me strength. I draw strength for my imitation today to imitate from the original that was set, that was imprinted. Now, not all of us have that example in that particular area, but you get the idea that from the original is where we get the strength for imitation. Now, ushers, can you help? We wanna, um, we're want to. we going to be receiving communion here shortly. Uh, we draw a measure of strength for imitation from the original. How about even laying my life down in a certain way for ministry? There was, I had a, a, a mentor that I watched him... Uh, lay down a very good job. At, well, I mean, he was a uh, he was he was a pastor, but he was a, an appointed pastor to a church, um, to a few different churches, um, and it was it was a good job. It was a it was a good career. He was a great minister, and he laid down that to pursue a calling to start a ministry to bring renewal to other churches in which he was not going to get paid. And so he chose something hard, and in that original, that imprint of seeing him, he, him follow, and, and he and his wife walk that out, and, and how um, to live in fidelity to Christ, in stepping out of what's comfortable into something that's uncomfortable, Right. I, I in my my imitation of walking away from a company that I helped to start and and um, a tech company that was a good job and I was good at it to step into something that I'm probably I found that I'm not quite as good at as I thought I would be yet. Um, and and that, that's not to be down on myself. That, that's just a reality that this is much harder than what I was doing before. And so I take some strength in imitating today because God, in his grace, in his sovereignty, allowed me to walk alongside and have an original in that area. I draw a measure of strength from the Christmas story to go to unknown places and to trust God against all odds. I mean, if you think about it, there's nothing reasonable or rational about the Christmas story if you were if you were an author or a writer you would not write that that god became a baby and was born in a barn i mean what about what about all the the bacteria living in in barns and like i mean this this is a total risky endeavor and appearing to shepherds people with no reputation and all of a sudden and, and King Herod and the people that are in, in power are now out, and they end up slaughtering every, ch- every son that was under two years old to try to get rid of the, the idea of this king that it had come. I mean, this is going to an unknown place in a very risky, risky plan. I mean, I, I, and I, I just, it's not something that, that the human mind would come up with. So I draw strength when I read the Christmas story. I think yes, when God is asking me to step into an unknown land or into an unknown season, and there seems that season seems to be occupied with uh, enemies or people in power or an authority um, that probably uh, are not using it wisely and have bad character and all kinds of other things. And where am I going to be, have the strength? Where am I going to find the strength to step into those places? Well. I actually think about the Christmas story. And I think about that the original that God did in that plan, that original is living inside of me, and I can lift a fingerprint of strength off the original that He has done. Even coming to the Lord's table for communion, coming to the Lord's table. Receiving the meal that He has prepared gives me strength to endure. When I hold the piece of bread, whether it's gluten-free or not, hallelujah, I think about His meal offering, His peace offering, His free will offering, This is the original. He was broken for me and for you. And in the Old Testament, in the ceremony, that offering after the priest had prepared it was distributed back to share with us in table fellowship, just as the ceremony would dictate. He filled every aspect of the law and completed it, not just for the ceremony of it, but the why, the heart of it. And so we still, we get to enjoy and have and be reminded of this original. And when we put this original again, and we're training our bodies and our minds and our hearts and our things to be able to imitate the footsteps that Jesus has walked in. We receive the original, so that we can do likewise and lay our lives down to be poured out, sometimes to be broken. For the sake of the gospel, the good news and the joy that's set before us, he really is a rewarder of all those who seek him. It's not for austerity's sake. It's for joy. It's for the fruitfulness of it. It's for the closeness and the intimacy that we enjoy from from choosing hard things. And when I take the cup, when I hold the cup, I know this is the original. He really has poured himself out for me and for you. So I can receive this pouring in. And continue to be pouring out, that I remind myself that he will never run dry. This cup, there's no, there's no bottom of his cup. And I'm reminding myself as we remind ourselves with followers of Christ all around the world, believers everywhere, that this really is the new covenant that has been poured out and continues to pour and pour and pour from the willingness, the generosity, and the joy of the Lord. He has joy in the pouring out. So let's all stand. We're going to receive communion, and then we're going to sing a closing song, a Christmas offering. God, we receive this bread. As an offering of peace that you've made for us in Jesus' name, and God, we receive this cup a cup that represents that is the blood that you shed that you were willing to shed for us for the remission of sin the removal of sin the cutting of new covenant that we can inherit and receive the kingdom of god how loved are we how loved are we dear children friends how loved are we we drink
1: bear the hammer Hey Jesus, may you
0: team, if you can come on forward. And if you need prayer for a willing heart to do the hard things because they're the right things, we want to pray for you. and We want to pray with you. Jesus did the hard things. He chose hard things because they were right things. And because of the hard things He chose, because of the love He brought He brought the kingdom to us. Merry Christmas.